Hey there and welcome to Courageous Radiance Podcast. My name is Brittany Dixon, your host, and I'm so grateful that you are tuning in and that you are here. I am very passionate for each woman to have an anchor. Did you know that that is even a possibility? Girl, scooch in, listen to this one more time. You have an anchor. We are never, ever, ever without hope. What joy and peace we can therefore go into any battle into any season, knowing that there is guaranteed victory in Christ on the other side. So this podcast is built to encourage you and to equip you with reading God's word as we do life going in millions of different directions, wearing so many different hats, but with an anchor together. Thanks so much for listening. Hey there, my Courageously Radiant podcast friend. On an off podcast day and an off podcast week, I am here in faithful obedience. In Courageous Radiance, this is a podcast where we we really floss our anchors in Jesus Christ so that we can grow and thrive and transform into our better versions despite what life is handing us, despite our circumstances and our situations that surround us, we can still thrive anyways. And God made us for a great and amazing purpose, and that is for his glory. And listen, I may not know your exact struggle. I may not know your name, but God does. So I want to encourage you to really seek him above anything else, as Matthew 6.33 tells us, as if your life depends on it. And one thing that is true is I have learned and I am continually learning is when God tells us to obey, we obey. And when God tells us to go, we go. And when he tells us to sit, we sit and wait. So where I want to share today is in Habakkuk. It's this little three chapter book. And y'all, it's a small one, but it is so powerful in what this prophet has to say. And where I want to read is in Habakkuk 3, um, verse 17 to start with. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet, what a powerful three-letter word, yet, I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, I love that, like big, you know, big Lord (laughs) of the whole world, but he's also my personal Lord, the Lord, my Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. So the thing I love that this book shares is it's this, not only this lamenting, but it's, it's almost a complaint. It's airing out his complaints to the Lord. And I don't know about you, what your upbringing looked like if you grew in the if you grew up in 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 the church what did that look like for you for me it I just wasn't taught I just wasn't raised in the church church that I was raised in where it felt okay to air out complaints with God you know so what that did for me is it taught me that this big God yes he controls everything but that he really doesn't have any direct, like day-to-day direct care in my life. 
And I don't want to share things with him just in case I step on his toes or he strikes me down with lightning or he's angry at me. So I learned this hamster wheel of I do this and God will do this. I don't do this and God. So it was just this constant level of of really no grace. I mean, I, I didn't I don't think I truly understood what grace was. I felt I had to earn his love. And I felt that in the many gaps that I had that I, I, I there's no way it, I'm too, and there's too much shame surrounding all of my choices. How could a God of this stature love me? How could a God give me anything when I deserve nothing? So this was my view. Now, this wasn't spoken in the pulpit. This wasn't, you know, at all read to me. It was just the in-between lines of, of who I thought God. It was a misconception of God. And goodness, our misconceptions of God really play out into our day-to-day lives and into our day-to-day decisions. So this misalignment for me was I never aired my complaints. I just stuffed them. So I am a stuffer. I don't know how you deal with your frustrations. Are you like a yeller? Are you a stuffer? You know, like, what do you do when you're frustrated? I stuff. And I get to this kind of like a tea kettle. I get to this point that I eventually just spill over explode more more like it I'm sure my husband would you know say amen on that I explode because it's been all of these things that I've been holding in for a long period of time so when Habakkuk is airing his complaints I look at it in a healthy way this isn't him saying God you have failed. It's like even as he is airing out his complaints in chapter one, he's still reverently giving God honor and glory for who he is. I mean, the fact that he's even saying that he has to call to God for help, just starting off in verse one, chapter one, verse one, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? So he's airing all of these questions, lots of how questions, when, why, will you, all of these questions that he has for God, all of these evil people, this evil generation, they're succeeding in their lives, this, there's injustice going on, the, the wrong are, 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 are being righted. I mean, God, like, come and deal with all of this foolishness surrounding me. I don't know if you can even just put yourself for five seconds into his mind frame at that time. I mean, surely there's injustices in every generation, but for him, this is this is the heart of why he's coming to God. He's like, God, I know you can. God, I know who you are. So where are you? And again, at first I was like, ee, ooh, you said that to God? But Now, as I have this relationship with God, so that's the thing I love about a relationship with God, it makes him so much more approachable with reverence. But now with my relationship with God, I realize that I can air my complaints in a healthy way, like Habakkuk. It's not just holding it in and then becoming bitter. 
and then severing God out of my life because, you know, and then I get to a place where I'm boiling over like this tea kettle and pointing my finger like, God, you didn't and God, you disappointed and, you know, bringing up stuff from all the way to when my memory started at the age of six or so, five or six and and letting him have it. Whereas I could have been lamenting to him. I could have been sharing to him and surrendering to him and giving him my heart and giving him my frustrations. And there is something very healthy about that. And I think in this airing of complaint and these questions that he has for God, the, the thing I love about about the order in which he did it is then he gets to this place where then he's going to wait on God. So he's trusting that God is going to have an answer and whatever that answer is, you know, God, I'm going to, I'm going to trust that your way is too great for me to understand. Although I don't, although I don't understand it, although I don't like it, although it's hard, I don't know if you can identify with this, but knowing that God is going to have the last say and where this hits me in my life right now is this airing of these complaints, this waiting on the Lord, um, just trusting that God's plan is better, is friend, God has his eyes on you. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on in your home. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows everything to the minute level. He knows it. And there's something about this knownness that it doesn't take away the struggle, but it helps me feel seen in it. It helps me feel like I have a place of refuge in that. And I love how he says in chapter one, um, verse 12, are you not from eternity, Lord, my God? Even there, he's still airing out these complaints. He's still explaining, you know, just giving out his frustrations, but still in reference that God, I know you're still greater than everything. Again, are you not from eternity? And then down to this question in verse 13, I feel like this is a Brittany question. <laughs> so why? Now he's asking, why do you tolerate such treachery? Why are you silent on these injustices that's, go that's going on? But for me, I'm like, God, so why am I going through this? Why have you not rescued me yet, God? Where is your hand? Where is your strong hand? And, and I love that then he waits. He waits. He says in chapter two, verse one, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. So it's not only God, I believe you are who you say you are, but God, I also know that you have an answer and I trust and believe that this answer is going to give me the peace that I need to withstand the situation that I'm in. And then by verse two, it says, it goes into the Lord answered me. I think this simple yet very difficult um, strategy of Habakkuk is um, so helpful in all of our struggles 
and and the struggles of parenting and the struggles within our marriages and the struggles within our jobs. Um, Just even where I started of of reading in, in chapter three of though the fig tree does not bud. I love it. It's almost like this imply like, yes, it's not doing this yet. This hasn't happened. Now, this is not in scripture. There's no yet there. I'm saying this is this is what seems to be the implied of though your life is not where you want it to be, though this marriage, this situation, this this circumstance, this health diagnosis, this trial, although this is not what you want, yet I will still celebrate in the Lord. I love that the celebration, the worship, the praise, the trust, the belief is not because he knows what God is going to do, but that he knows who God is. And he knows that whatever it is that God allows is supposed to be. And it is his position to wait and wait well. How do we wait well? We wait well with our praise and with our rejoicing and with our trust in the Lord. And man, isn't there the enemy would, this is like the most, this is like a nightmare for the enemy. If you think of John 10, 10, where scripture says that the enemy has come to steal, kill and destroy, but our abundance, our life comes in Jesus Christ as that verse finishes. So as I'm thinking, I'm like, this is like what the enemy is strategizing to do through the struggle and through the trial. He wants my mouth to open and to start complaining against my God. And then once my mouth is is going, 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 and then soon this bitterness and this anger and this resentment, this resentment towards God begins to build up like, God, where were you? God, you didn't come through. So then before you, before you know it, you're looking up and you have like zero half of a relationship with God because you have no trust in who God is. And isn't that exactly what the enemy did from the very beginning of time? When he first showed up on the scene in the garden with Eve, was he instilled doubt? He distorted truth. So the truth is not in what the enemy is telling you. The truth isn't even in what's going on in between your ears. Because listen, there's lies and distortions all in our mind. Our, our minds need to be in alignment with what God says. So it's allowing us to have the freedom reverently to surrender to God, cry out to God, ugly cry, not just cute cry, ugly cry out to God, but then waiting and trusting and believing that God is going to have an answer. Even if it's not an answer that we want, it's an answer. And he, with his provision, with him, is the provision of peace and its joy in spite of the answer. So for whoever, whether that's one or none, I know that that is just exactly what my heart needed because the Lord sees, the Lord knows, and he's going to respond. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Stay safe and warm if you are in Texas. This feels more like Michigan days to me. So be safe out there.